0: Well, good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here, Grace Point Church. Thank you so much for banking it this morning. I'm glad to see you. If you're listening online later, thank you for doing that later. Glad to, uh, to have you listening along. Merry Christmas to you guys. Good morning to you guys. <laughs> Hey, uh, and thank you again, worship team, for leading us. Uh, it is good to see people who do what they do well do what they do well, and we are blessed because of that. So we're, we're grateful to be led by you guys. Thanks so much. Um, you are finding us in part uh, seven of an eight-part series called Arriving, in which we're trying to arrive. And some of you may wonder, when in the world are we going to arrive? Hey, next week is Christmas. We're going to arrive, all right? Next week, we're going we're gonna to be there. Um, but hey, it's Christmas season, so many of you have um, some unique uh, Christmas celebrations in your family, don't you? Uh-huh, yes. Yeah, so like some of you I know will actually sleep overnight in the living room next to the presents and some of the kids will wake up in the middle of the night and, you know, start to open them and all that, right? And that's from what we do. In our family, um, we joke with my dad, it's the one time out of the year that he uses the oven, right? And it's to make toast, all right? It's not even that exciting, but it's cinnamon toast that he'll make and we'll get there early and, and he'll do that. Um, some of you uh, have unique things where you actually do a drama. You kind of recreate the Christmas story in your family or your larger extended family, and or the kids write a little drama thing, and that happens in your family. Uh, there are there are unique things that you do. Uh, there are ways now that this is uh, coming across to all of us. There there are ways that you actually take sometimes a family Christmas picture and create a uh, a picture that goes in. to to everybody's mailbox right right now, and you kind of feel a little behind the eight ball if you don't get one of those done and don't have some kind of creative family picture taken for everybody. Uh, Christmas season kind of has become uh, its own unique culture, and based on each family unit, there's a unique feel to Christmas in your family compared to Christmas in my family compared to Christmas next to you. And in fact, if you were to go back in time with me to Barbados when I was growing up, Christmas in another country feels different than Christmas here in North America because the culture around how we celebrate and what we celebrate, the culture kind of creates a reality for us. And so very few of you now would have the habit that our family had when we were in Barbados and that is Christmas Eve, we go to the beach. All right. I mean, who does that? Yeah. Take it easy. Take it easy. And it's warm. All right. And it's actually when we get in the water and we play because that was kind of all it was always warm, you know, always what we did. So here's the deal that over time, then there's some habits or traditions in your family now that you actually do because your mom or your dad did them with you or for you. And they have kind of been passed on from generation to generation, whether it's the reading of the Christmas story or eating the Christmas ham or, you know, dad cuts it, and mom bakes it or whatever. I mean, there's, there's certain things that you do that have been passed on to you. A guy by the name of Shane Hipps wrote in a book called Flickering Pixels, he used this phrase, he said, we become what we behold. In other words, we become what we see. What we see modeled in front of us, we ultimately become. That's true, isn't it, across the board? It's true culturally. It's true in Christmas celebrations. It's just true across the board. We become what we see other people do and what kind of is beholden to us, which is why if you're a, a male 20-something here in North America, for example, you don't wear what men in Europe wear, and that is man caprice because you'll be laughed at. But in Europe, right, you, you will. You become what you behold. You don't see that modeled here, and we do see it modeled in Europe. In your Christmas celebrations, there's some things that you do that others don't do. Why? Because we kind of become, we kind of do what we behold. Now, As we think about how in the world this relates to uh, this series called Arriving, this concept, this idea, and it's true, and you you know it. Your kids kind of become what they see you do. You know that with your coaches or your teachers. It's the power of modeling behavior. That last week as we were together talking about arriving, and this series is built on the concept of this Old Testament word called shalom, peace, fullness, wholeness, that there actually exists a place where we can actually find fullness and completeness. Last week, we talked about that the idea, the biblical idea of shalom is not just peace and fullness with God, but actually it has a relational component to it, it has a community component to it. In other words, we kind of brought, and I kind of brought to you a pretty heavy weight, a pretty heavy freight train of New Testament evidence that said, listen, if you're going to think about shalom and peace together and think about putting yourself in a situation where you actually can find peace and wholeness, we have to think not only about how I relate to God, but how am I relating to one another? And over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament in particular, we see that the church, the body of Christ, people who are followers of Jesus, are to live at peace with one another, which is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word, shalom, the Greek word, I that we are over and over and over again told to live at peace. In fact, we're told to do whatever it takes to live at peace. And I said last week, Whether we like it or not, we can't like not liking each other. That we just can't like having disagreements between one another. We can't like creating or having or maintaining enemies within the church body. That's not what we've been designed to do. And when we do that, we step outside the bounds of shalom. We just can't have that. Now, what I want to talk about this week is one more Sunday on the concept of community because here's the deal. That all of us have, all of us have, um, because of where we live and where we grew up, all of us have... um, a view of community that has been impacted by living in a Western world. Now, some of you may not have grown up in the Western world. Some of you may not have grown up primarily in North America. But for those of you who have, there is something about growing up in America and growing up in the West that actually uh, has impacted how you read your Bible and consequently how you perceive faith and community to actually be very important because we become what we behold. And what we behold in North America, one of the primary leading values in North America is this concept of individualism, of individualism. This is a primary leading social and cultural value of North America and Westerners. And if we become what we behold, we have to hold up the culture of where we have grown up and how we've been shaped and hold it up against the Bible and ask the question, how can I grow? Where can I learn um, in light of what I see in the scriptures? Now, here's why this is important. Because some of us, um, we can only grow from what we know. Has this ever happened to you? And especially around, around the, the Christmas season when we're together with family, um, where all of a sudden you are sitting at the the dinner table, let's imagine yourself at a family gathering, and you're sitting at the dinner table, and all of a sudden you catch yourself sitting just like your mom or your dad. Or worse, you point it out to your spouse. You're sitting just like that. And we do things like that subconsciously, don't we? It's like, all of a sudden, you mean the way I said that was, that just, that just sounded like your dad, right? That just sounded like your, your mom. And when we don't reflect on why we do what we do or how we do what we do, we can just walk into things that we would rather not do. And so this morning, what I'm trying to get under with us is that without reflection, On how our culture has shaped us we will walk into a life of faith that will be more influenced by American Western values than biblical values all right so I want to talk through some things with you so this morning has two parts to it okay this morning I want us to understand at a really broad level just a couple of key social and cultural things that have happened here in North America that have kind of shaped who we are. So it was a little bit of a history time this morning. And then we want to go biblically and talk about what in the world does the Bible have to say about shalom, peace, and fullness against, up against this. Concept of American individualism, and then we want to talk about the so what. What do I do with this? All right. So if you're game, let's do it. Uh, let me take you on a little bit of a history lesson this morning, and then we're going to hit the scriptures to kind of draw this through. Um, and I want to take you back to some key uh, key things that have happened in the movement of history, and it'll be skipping a lot of years. But uh, I want to take you back to 1450 in Germany. Uh, there's a guy named Gutenberg. You guys know who Gutenberg is. What he did. He created something very important. He created the printing. Press, right? Now, many of you may know that the printing press actually was created um, and developed uh, almost 800 years prior to that. Did you know that uh, in China? There was already a, a printing press in China. In fact, there was a block press. But the problem was um, it didn't really catch on in China. You know why? Because there's 80,000 characters in Chinese. And there's 26 in the Western-based English language, and it isn't amazing that we can take all right, the language that you and I primarily speak. As I'm looking at you here this morning, that the language you and I primarily communicate in has 26 little characters in which we have squeezed all of the meaning of life into those 26 characters. Taking like the Chinese, 880,000. I don't know what the deal is. You know, why not 26? That alone. That alone. Impacts how we see faith, and so Gutenberg creates the printing press in 1450 in Germany. And here's what happens when when that um, occurs, when the printing press occurs, all of a sudden, the information. If I want information, I no longer have to go to the the temple to get information about Jesus or God. I no longer have to go to church to hear what Luther has to say in that time period. I no longer have to go to the town square to hear the town crier talk about the news anymore. I can get the paper delivered to me. I can go to the store and buy a copy of Luther's most recent book and read his theological view of God. I no longer actually have to engage with a group of people who are also getting information together, I can get it on my own. So, here we go. Here's what uh, Shane Hipps writes about this. He says, In preliterate societies, a person's identity is bound to the tribe. The notion of the individual has a little importance. However, the technology of writing, regardless of content, weakens and even destroys tribal bonds and profoundly amplifies the value of the individual. In other words, the idea that I need, for me to get information before the printing press was created, it was about oral tradition. It was about stories that were told. It was about sharing and communing together and getting the information at the same time in one place. And so if I want to be reading and seeing what's happening, I need to go somewhere where there's a group of people and learn it in community together. As soon as the printing press goes, <laughs> no longer is that necessary, man. Deliver the news to me, and all of a sudden, the value of the individual becomes much greater than the need even to plug into community. So this is kind of the starting point of how we begin to see um, individualism, in particular in the West, beginning to develop. Move into North America, and I'm skipping many many years. Um, even what we now know as the Declaration of Independence, that it is endowed uh, endowed by the Creator God, that each individual has certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That each one of, of you, if you're an American citizen, even actually regardless of citizenship, truthfully, the Declaration of Independence just speaks to humanity, doesn't speak to American citizenship. That each one of you, the declaration of this country will state there are certain inalienable rights that the Creator God has endowed upon you. That you as an individual have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Almost without... Um, You have the right not to be interfered with by the community in your pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a highly, highly, highly individualistic emphasis that that our country has been founded on. I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm not saying it hasn't brought good things. I'm just saying this this is where we come from. So we grow up in a country that develops um, entertainment, a Western uh, movie, let's say, around a solitary hero. It develops a music movement like jazz in which improvisation of the individual is highlighted. It develops an economic system upon which the entrepreneur is encouraged and celebrated that he, she struck out on their own and made it on their own, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. It was in the 1920s that Herbert Hoover, the 31st President of the United States, gave a speech in which he coined a term that we now use, whether we know it came from, from our friend Herb or not, it came from Herbert. All right, Funny name, Herbert. I'm sorry if some of you are named Herbert, but wasn't there a turtle named Herbert one time? Anyway, sidebar. Herbert Hoover, 31st President of the United States, in a speech uh, in 1928, began um, to speak about, as he called it, the, the ideals Um, principles and ideals of the United States government. Um, Hoover was a self-made millionaire, and he actually was one of two presidents who donated his salary back to charity, if you didn't know that. Um, He donated all of what he made back to charity because he was high on volunteerism, and he wanted to prove that point. And he was a, a little government person, you know, small government guy, Republican guy, small government, big on volunteerism and and individuals uh, and entrepreneurial, and that's where he was. He came on the heels of World War I um, and what that meant. And in World War I, there was a great push in the federal government to kind of take over much of what our country was doing business-wise. And here's what he had to say in his speech of October 22nd, 1928. He says, "Uh, during the war, we necessarily turned to the government to solve every difficult economic problem. The government, having absorbed every energy of our people for war, there was no other solution. For the preservation of the state, the federal government became a centralized despotism which undertook unprecedented responsibilities, assumed autocratic powers, and took over the business of citizens. To a large degree, we regimented our whole people temporarily into a socialistic state. However, justified in time of war, if continued in peacetime, it would destroy not only our American system, but with it our progress and freedom as well he goes on to say when the war closed the most vital of all issues both in our own country and throughout the world was whether government should continue their wartime ownership and operation of many instrumentalities of production and distribution and then i want you to see this i'm going to throw this part up on the on the screen here for you because he he then said this and this is the the phrase that we began to hold on to he said we were challenged with a peacetime choice between the American system of, and here's our phrase, rugged individualism and a European philosophy of diametrically opposed doctrines, doctrines of paternalism and state socialism. And he went on to say this, that the acceptance of these ideas, meaning state socialism and paternalism these ideas would have meant the destruction of self-government through the centralization of government it would have meant the undermining of the individual initiative and enterprise through which our people have grown to unparalleled greatness if you ever use the term rugged individuals ever heard that term rugged individualism it came from our friend herb herbert hoover 1928 speech right before he became the 31st president of the united states speaking to that issue just last year in 2013, when the government shut down, a guy by the name of Richard Koch wrote in the Huffington Post. Now, here's what he says. If there's one defining quality of the West, it is individualism. Western individualism has no similar roots in any other civilization. Even cultures permeated by Western ideas and business, such as those of Japan, Korea, Singapore, and Hong Kong, have not become individualistic in the Western way. Now, I'm trying to drive home this little history lesson for you to help you understand where we come from and why we tend to think the way we think. Today, even technologically, we just don't even really think about it a whole lot, but the social media movement, uh, YouTube, about you, you as the individual, let's hear your story, put your story, because your story is important to put out there, the I-everything movement, right, the iPhone, the iPad, the iPod, the I-whatever, that there is this this, uh, even a language, a verb created, I think it's a verb, that describes a new way to take a picture, right? Selfie, right? Take a selfie. You know what a selfie is? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a picture of me, right? So I'm, I'm somewhere, and so I'm going to take a picture of me, and I'm going to kind of hold it up here and take a picture, and it's a selfie picture because it's, it's about... Me and, and life is about me and how I view the world. And so you may be in the background of my selfie, but it's kind of about me. And some of us haven't had a picture taken from somebody else for a really long time. It's been all about the selfies. And, you know, I, I kind of get that because it's kind of neat. But it's also the selfie. And it's part of American individualism. Now, here's why this is so important. This is so important to understand because this impacts, this impacts how you see your faith and how you see in particular relating in community to one another. Because the, the value of American individualism has created great things within our economic system and within, within our, in our country, the responsibility that brings, the creativity that affords, some great things that American individualism has brought. But it also makes us read our Bibles in a certain way and therefore, consequently, makes us interpret God through the lens of how we've been raised, because we become what we behold. And when we behold a culture built on rugged individualism, we become people of faith like that. So I want to take you to some passages of scripture. I want you to turn to four different passages uh, in your Bibles this morning, and I want you to keep Okay, you can keep your finger in each of them, or you can be ready to go back and forth in your tablet or your, your iPhone or whatever, Android phone to them. But I wanted to take you to a few different passages of Scripture, and then I want to talk about the impact of this on us. All right. So begin in, um, in Matthew. We're going, to start, we're going to stay in the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we have a Bible in the pew near you. It's our gift to you this morning, by the way. If you don't own one, we like to give that to you, I'll let you take that with you. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 is the first book in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. It's the first, what we call gospel. Uh, Matthew was a follower of Jesus and he wrote. So Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to start and then we're going to move um, to a couple different passages, but keep your finger in each one of them for me, all right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We're jumping into um, Jesus speaking here. Matthew 5, 13, and 14, and, and I'm reading from the, uh, the NIV. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. All right, I'm going to save comments for all of these verses until we read them through. So keep your finger there. Flip over several books to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So you're going to go about five, six books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. The person who wrote 1 Corinthians is the apostle Paul. Um, He became a follower of Jesus later in his life and was the greatest missionary, I think, of all time. He wrote this to the church in Corinth. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. All right? Keep your finger there. Let's turn over to Philippians. You're going to keep moving toward the right in your Bible. You're going to uh, finish 2 Corinthians and go to uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, about four more books. Philippians chapter 2, again, Paul is writing. Philippians 2, verse 13. It says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And now finally, with your finger in all of these, I think you have enough fingers to do that. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. The very next book, right over to your right. Colossians 1, 27. Again, Paul writing, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, why did I have you turn to four different passages of Scripture that seemingly have very little to do with one another, and you probably don't even remember the first one or the second one that we read. The question is this, what do they all have in common? You know, what, what do all four of these verses have in common? And when I tell you, you'll know, and maybe you already know, maybe you already sense it, but here it is. I'll give you the answers. You don't have to worry too much, all right? The answer is you. You is the answer. Each of these verses has to do with you. It speaks about you. You're probably still in Colossians. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's a, it's a soothing feeling and a convicting feeling to think that Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Back it up to Philippians chapter 2. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And so we understand that that in, in and through my life, in and through the things that happen in my life, that it is God who is at work in me to will and to act according to his good purpose. Back it up to 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. And that's a convicting message and we've heard this before. That, there is, that the spirit of God dwells within each one of us and that I am the temple of God. And that it's important for me to live out that and understand that and move in that direction. And then even Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. And then Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. The responsibility that you have to live out as a Christian, if you're a Christian, to live out the salt and the light. Because that's who you are. So here's how we read these passages because of how we've been shaped. We believe that the you is me. We believe that the you is me. We believe that the you is the singular you. And here's the deal. This communicates in our culture. In fact, if I would have continued a message and continued to talk about the implications of this for each one of us individually, using the word you, it would have found a home for us. We'd have been like, yeah, that's good, that's right, it's within me. The Spirit of God is within me. But here's the deal. The you actually here is not me. All of these yous are actually plural, Therefore, the you in all of these verses is actually us. That's not my opinion. That's just the language. It's the Greek language. It's it's not my interpretation. It's just the language. We don't have, in our 26 characters, we don't have the capacity to make you plural or singular except to understand it in context. But let's reread each of these verses. With this understanding that every time you see the word you in each of these verses, it is not about you individually. Each one of these is a plural you. Each one of these is an us. Each one of these is related to the church. So let's reread this with that frame of mind in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, you church, you community of faith, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You church, you community of faith, you us, are the light of the world. The city on the hill cannot be hidden. It's plural. First Corinthians three, sixteen and seventeen. Don't you guys know? Don't you all know that you, plural, all of you, are God's temple? And that God's spirit lives not in you individually, this is a plural you. God's spirit lives in the gathered community. He lives in us. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you, plural, are that temple. You, community of faith, church, are that temple. Not you individually, you, us, y'all, are that temple. Number three, in Philippians two thirteen, For it is God who works not in you individually, while that is true. Here, it is God works in you all, in us. God works in all of us to will and to act according to his good purpose. In Colossians, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in all of us. Christ in you, the gathered community, the church. That it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, is actually in all of you, in you, plural. And there's something that cannot be translated from the Greek to the English without a conversation to say, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a way that I've been raised, a way that I've been shaped that changes how I read my Bible makes me assume certain things are true because I want it to be true, because I grew up in a rugged, individualistic culture. There is a difference, a categorical difference, between being an American and being a Christian. We we know that. We we just know that. So so check, check this out. American individualism is American, not Christian. Whatever the benefits of individualism are, and there are benefits, There's a biblical call to community of faith that stands separate from being American or Western, and unless embraced means that we will stand outside the full benefit of shalom. American individualism is American, not Christian. And unless understood, unless embraced, that there's a biblical call to the community then we will forever, for the rest of our lives, we will stand outside the full benefits of shalom. We will stand outside the full benefits of what we understand peace, fullness, and wholeness to be. My concern for for all of us is that we somehow become okay without connecting well to one another, that we somehow can create a Christianity that actually is heavily influenced by American rugged individualism that says, I will get what I need to get from where I need to get it when I need to get it. And so if I don't get anything from the church, I will go and I will listen to some other buddy teach. I'll go listen to other music. I'll go read a book on my own. And in my own personal life my own personal devotions if you want to call it that my own personal study my own personal quiet time I will then find peace I will then find fullness of life now there is room hear me right there is absolutely room and it is absolutely right on your own in your own private quiet moments to pursue a relationship with God that's right and good but that is not all that there is this concept stands just in stark contrast to American individualism. This concept that actually you and I will never experience the fullness of peace. You want to know what it's like to be, to be happy, <laughs> joyful, engaged, full of life? It means, just categorical, categorically, by definition, figuring out how to connect to the community of faith. Because the Spirit of God does something in the community that he does not do outside of the community. The Spirit of God does something, even the, the scriptures that we just read. You together are the salt of the earth, not you individually. You together are the light of the world, not you individually. While there's components of that true individually, there is also the reality. This is true corporately. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Us, all of us. These things do not happen outside of connection, relationship, in a church, and a community of faith with one another. This comes so counter so counter, to how we've been shaped and raised. And so here's what I want to say. Here's, here's some thoughts for us this morning. So what? Whether I like it or not, I can't be okay with just me being okay. Last week I said, whether I like it or not, I can't, be, I can't like not liking you. Okay, Whether I like it or not, I can't be okay with just me being okay. It, it's just not enough. If you want to call yourself a Christian who believes in the Bible, it's just not enough to say, as long as I got it, as long as I'm okay, as long as I'm connecting to God, as long as I'm reading the Bible, as long as I'm doing whatever, as long as I'm, it's just not enough. It, it, it will keep you from experiencing the fullness of Shalom. It will keep you from experiencing what God has created us to be to do together. There's something about togetherness that cannot happen, that the, the fullness and peace of shalom cannot come without them. Yeah, number two, um, spiritual growth comes, shalom comes not only from stepping toward God, but stepping toward others. Um, we talked about this a little bit last week with community, they need to step into. But here's the deal, that, that stepping into community uh, it is a vital part of how in the world we experience life on this planet the way God designed us to be. And I want you to imagine what it would be like for a moment if you're, uh, if you're a young adult right now. Right? You're a young adult and you're trying to figure out how do I navigate life? And how do I make a decision related to, you know, who do I date, who do I marry, where do I go to school, what kind of job do I get, you know, whatever. Can you imagine what it would be like If you had people in your life who not only were friends and and guys you could pal around with, girls you could could hang out with and enjoy conversation with, but actually um, consistently spoke spiritual truth into your life and challenged you on how you're seeing your ultimate purpose in this life playing out in the decision of who you date, playing out in the decision of where you work playing out in the decision of how you invest your life. Can you imagine for a minute what it'd be like if the people that you hung out with, the way that you were connected, were not just friends who were fun to be around, not just friends who were kind of cool and adventurous and all that, not just that, but actually helped you develop, helped you stay accountable to what in the world you think God is leading you to become. Can you imagine what it would be like to have a sphere of friends who actually you could lean to when you were struggling with your own sense of identity and call them, talk to them, text them, get together with them, and know that you have people in your corner with you who are praying with you and standing with you and supporting you in spiritual relationship. Can you imagine what that would be like? Can you imagine what it would be like as a, as a parent of children to, to be creating a home where your kids see you praying with other couples in your home, where, where your kids see you on the phone with counseling with engaging with reading the bible with being in mission with going to the, the going out on mission serving together with other people as part of what you do because you're in relationship with one another can can you imagine what that would be like as a parent to have other people who you could connect with in it, not just at a friend level and a how do I parent, and how do I make it through the day when my kid was up all night vomiting and all that, not just that level, which is good, but at a spiritual level. Who could connect with you, who could help you be the salt of the earth and the light of the world where you are. Can you imagine what it would be if you're a senior adult or moving into that category of your life and, and your, your wisdom is not going anywhere, your, your energy might be, but your wisdom is not going anywhere. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a part of, of a group of people who not only you could pour into and, and, and help and support, but also conversely supported you. If you were here last week, you heard our, our, some of our ladies talk about the women's Bible study that they have here Monday nights beginning in January. Um, and I was struck by Margie Wright's comment um, that she made. She made the comment up here how she was so blessed to be a part of this group who encouraged her in her faith and challenged her in her faith and kind of gave life to her faith. Not that it had no life, but it it was provoking in a good way, catalyst for her. Can you imagine what it would be like at the end of your workday, not just to come home and collapse because you're done with your energy, but can you imagine what it would be like in your life to come home and say, you know what, I got people who love me and care for me and who challenge me. I want to go and be a part of that. Event. I want to go and be a part of relationship with one another. Can you imagine what that would be like? Because this is the call of the community of faith. This is the call a biblical shalom, not just a relationship with God where I got my personal devotions for 10 minutes, an hour, 20 minutes a day, whatever. Not just that. But it's the call to community life. It's a call to shalom that says we have got to get together with one another. The you is plural. The you is us. You, us, we are the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Now, you may be saying, yeah, that would be great. (laughs) That would be great. But let's be realistic. Um, That doesn't happen. I don't know that many people here. There's not opportunities for me. Um, You know, I've tried that before, and I've been burned in relationship with people. Um, I've extended trust to people, and they've abused it, or they've hurt that in the process. What you're asking me to do is too hard to do. Either the system isn't there or I just, just can't do it. I want to tell you a little story a couple of weeks ago, what happened here. I was standing just about three or four rows back after the service was over. And I have permission, by the way, to share this story, just so you know, I don't go off blabbing stories that you tell me or, you know, to everybody. Just a lot of people. Usually not with a microphone, I don't. Um, Someone came up to me who, some of you know, many, many do not, and her name's Barb, and I asked Barb if I could share this, and she said she would be fine with it. So Barb came up, and Barb is new, and Barb and her husband Michael are new, they're hanging out, there from Jersey. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and Barb came up and she said to me, um, you know, um, I don't know many people here, but I'd like to. They want to have you and your wife over to our place. And you know what? I don't know who that musician is up there, but i like to invite her. Do you know her name? I'd like to invite them over to our house. We're having other people over. I asked the lady, oh, I remember her name, but what was her husband's name? And she kind of looked around because, you know what, she didn't know anybody. But she didn't wait for an invitation to do that. She initiated. Now, she'll also tell you... um, this is not her cup of tea. You might be thinking, Barb. well, Barb's outgoing and she's energetic and she has courage and all that. And I'm telling you, if she were up here right now, she would say, this was a huge risk for me. This was a huge risk for me. I didn't know what people would say. I didn't know if they'd say yes. I didn't even know if they'd like the food that I'd serve. You know what I mean? What, I don't even know. But she decided, you know what? I need to do this. And so I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it. Who do you need to talk to? Isn't that simple and yet profound? We talk about living fearlessly here at Grace Point Church. We talk about a simple example like that. Come up and have somebody over. I mean, the the last question on here is very simple and yet very profound. Who do you need to step toward, right? Who do you need to step toward? There's some things you might be saying, well, the church doesn't offer this or doesn't offer that, and if the church did, then I would and all that. Okay, we have room to grow, absolutely. We can do more, no question about it. We can continue to try to offer better programming and all that. That's all true and that's all right and we can do better in a whole variety of levels. It's it's always true. But why wait for us when you can do something now? You know, why wait when you can do like Barb did and just say, you know what? I'm going to get to know somebody I don't know. I'm going to step into relationship to somebody and I'm going to look for people who I can connect with. I'm going to look for people to begin to have greater relationship with because not only am I supposed to be at peace with one another, not only is the community of faith supposed to be a peaceful community, but as, as believers... We cannot subscribe to American individualism and just take that hook, line, and sinker. We have to step out of that and say, I've got to work hard against that. I've got to work hard against just me making a living in my business, just me and my family making our way in the world, just me and my interests moving forward. It has to move away from that if we want to become fully Christian, if we want to experience shalom and fullness. And so why wait? Who do you need to talk to? What step can you take to say, you know what? I need to get to know some people. I need to move toward somebody. You see, we become. We become what we behold. And if we behold people like Barb, like others of you, who say, you know, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to do this. If your kids behold you doing this, they become what they behold. We can become even more than we are. A community of people who can lean into one another spiritually. Who can care for one another in love. Who can learn what it means to live in peace with one another. Even in the midst of difficult times that will come. Even in the middle of hard times. But this is what we have been called to. We are the salt of the earth. We together are the light of the world. We are the temple of God. So who do you need to step into? Who can you talk to? What can you do this week? We become what we behold. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word that moves us out of simply our experience and our culture and moves us into an awareness and an understanding of what your ideal is for us. And I pray for us this morning as men and women who we will find it easier to leave here and go home and do our own thing because it takes less energy. We will find it easier to care about our interests because it takes a little bit more to give to someone else. I pray, Father, that you would help us understand this truth that in order to experience shalom, right, in order to experience a fullness of life that we need, that we need to step into and create and initiate things that aren't happening. We need to step into relationship with one another no matter what. Give us the courage to do what we know we need to do with this and give us the uh, patience and grace where we will offend and hurt one another and help us to be men and women who lean into trust and love one another the very best that we can. Father, we thank you that you have modeled this for us, that you have given to us your son, Jesus Christ, and your spirit to empower, strengthen, and move us. We so thank you for the courage the strength that that brings. And we ask for courage ourselves to step into doing what we know we need to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.